You are listening to Just Riding Along on Mountain Bike Radio. Hello, listeners. Thanks for coming back to Just Riding Along. Two quick things. One, go over to shopmbr.com. I've changed things up with the store uh, and added some options for the Just Riding Along shirt. There's 10 different colors of that logo shirt. So if you've seen it before, wanted to buy it, and it wasn't there in the tan, or you wanted a different color, go check that out, shopmbr.com. And just a reminder to continue to keep using the Amazon link. You can go to mountainbikeradio.com slash support MBR to find out more about that. And that's it. So enjoy this episode of Just Riding Along. You sucking ass on the trail. Why you need to bail? You fed as a whale, brah. Why you need a new bike as well? We take you to market to sell, brah. Now you can afford the bike that you want, the job at the mall ain't pay you enough. Now she getting rough, you thinking that you need to sell all your stuff. When it is more likely the problem with biking is that you're just prone to fucking shit up. You suck. Try to get a new head before you get a bike. Maybe get a trike with the wheelies on the side. Then you gotta get it, get it till you get it better. Maybe then you make it better instead of looking like a lame ass. And if you get confused, you can ask. J-R-A, get hip to the night. Hello and welcome to the real 30th episode in 2018 of Just Riding Along on Mount Bike Radio. Tonight's episode is brought to you by, you could be advertising right here in this spot. No, really, you could. Shoot I thought me we email. don't have advertisers because we piss everyone off. I'll advertise with you if you want to party. We have I advertisers for like a little bit and then they go away, but that's okay. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. we have something really awesome. So if you're interested in advertising with us, let me know. I can send you over a PDF of our media kit. You can know what it costs to advertise with us because fuck you, pay me. That's how we roll. Um, <laughs> sure. Media kit. That sounds pretty pro. Yeah, we had a lot of help with that. I'm really, really appreciative for that help. So um, cool things are going. I'll go quickly and first. Oh, shoot. It's been a really busy day and we'll get to it. Why? Later. I don't know if we have any uh, dollar dollar bills, y'all. Uh, Micah Cash Gordon or Micah Cash only Gordon from Missouri sent over twenty five doll hairs. Damn. Arn Burdick. This guy's name is Burdick. Okay. From Montana sent twenty five dollars with a note. Thanks, Matt, for all the advice and the offer. And then Mike Mitchell of New Hampshire gave twenty five dollars with a note. Great show. Thanks. Um, and what Arn is talking about is if you lust after the original 429 trail, not the trail 429, but the OG standard boost, uh, I have a single large in stock. Go on, dude. Dog's standing here whining at me. Um, oh, he just wants to sit in your lap, doesn't he? I don't know. I can't tell. Um, so yeah, I have a single non-boosted or non-super boosted OG 429 trail. Holla at you, boy. Um, I don't know what's been going on with me. Oh, I can tell you. Right after our last recording, I went to the doctor and found out that I had broke my prostate. So I mean, you didn't break it; you bruised it. Well, same, same. I mean. Uh, what what were you guys doing over there uh i rode the rowdy bike at the bike park with a road saddle on it so that's what happened to me like did the did the tip of it go in your asshole no it was more like the <laughs> tail of the saddle and my pubic bone tried making contact with my um bits and pieces in between so it got Bundle. really pinched 
You pinched your grundle. Yeah, I pinched my grundle. Um, but I, I went to the doctor, and uh, turns out if you give the doctor an absorbent amount of money, they tell you good advice, and things get better. So that's what I'm working with. Uh, so I haven't written a ton in the last two weeks since we recorded last because of that. But in the Rocky Mountain Instinct BC90, which is 160, 155 travel, 29er out of the box, I did put a Fox 170 air spring in the front. So it's now one. It looks ridiculous now. It's just one... so you know, it looks dumb. One seventy looks pretty. It, it looks. In, it looks insane. Yeah. It's a uh, one seventy, one fifty five, and it sand... looks silly. Sand dunes is like in the area, probably one of the, I would say, like faster, gnarly descents. There's some stuff that I would say is harder, but like that's a good fast one right here in town. And like I put the air spring in there and went out and ripped a loop on it. And like it was second fastest ever according to Strava. And I wasn't like going hard. I was like, huh, that's pretty good. So that's cool. Uh it rides really terrible uphill though. <laughs> like surprise, surprise. I'm sure. Like it already didn't so I, ride that I, well uphill. I rode around the ransom a little bit. And it's insane. I don't remember the travel numbers on it. It's 160 or 170 in the front. I'm I think it's 170 in the front. It's a it's a shit ton. And it's hilarious. If you let go of the bars, it just uh it just crashes you. <laughs> like if you're just trying to ride around the shop, mess around, if you if you let go of the bars, it instantly like chops your leg off. <laughs> like it finds that little bit that you're leaning and just carves and like spins you yep. into a fucking display. <laughs> Pretty much. Oh boy. Um, I don't know if I really, oh, I do have something else that I can't really talk too much about, but, um, I ordered a pair of Fox Redshift pants. Uh, they're like riding pants. And if you haven't noticed, I'm going full enduro, like pretty soon, I'm not going to be allowed on JRA. I'm going to have to join the path. Like, <laughs> it's okay. I'm going to go full cross country. So we'll balance it out and it'll just be like a trail bike cool so it's cool i built a new cross-country bike wait different than the bar bike the rock hopper man hell yeah all right so let me finish up so i can hear about that fucking monstrosity of a bicycle um uh i got some pants they're kind of cool i haven't ridden in them yet though i mean i rode with the dogs in them but that doesn't really count um like are you gonna do moto or are they for no no they're like standard britches but they're designed for like moto trail riding and I'm going to give him a shot riding in those instead of like tights. Cause I feel like you could wear, they're like a little more protective than like, let's say leggings or knee warmers and stuff. Um, and I just want to be able to crash in them and like not rip them to fucking pieces. So you don't crash that much though. I'm about to start. I can <laughs> feel it. Okay. Um, and in like two weeks I'll probably have my new hardtail. So pretty excited about that. It is a Esker Hey Duke, and it'll be pretty cool to have a, a like dropper post hardtail and then a really rowdy full suspension bike and to see what that does in, in terms of covering everything. I don't know if it's going to work for everything, but it'll probably work for a lot of stuff. So see how it goes, but who knows? I don't think I have anything else. I'm very tired. It's been a very long day. Yeah. Um, 
Oh, it's Sunday. And to give you the, the tale of why I'm so tired, because I'm going to do this to set Andrea up to go next, is uh, she had been out hunting, and um, I this is Sunday. On Saturday, I got up at like 3.30 in the morning, and I drove to Denver and back and dropped a buddy off at the airport and then worked all day, watched Red Bull Rampage last night, which was really good, and then got up this morning, went to work, and then got a text from Andrea, I hope you're fucking hungry. <laughs> so, Andrea. And for those of you that aren't fans of hunting, I'm going to stand on a soapbox for just a moment. I was going to talk about that. You don't have to. You didn't go hunting. Okay. <laughs> um, I have had a couple of people be like, why are you hunting elk? And really, I'd like to get away from, uh, I don't think farm animals, for the most part, there's some exceptions, of course. Um, farm animals, uh, factory farm animals are not raised in the best conditions, treated the best, the happiest animals on earth. Um, so I'm trying to, uh, rather than going full vegan, uh, would like to make my diet mostly uh, locally raised, organic, and grass-fed, um, which means I can go out and get that myself. Um, you pay, you know, Colorado Parks and Wildlife a little bit of money, and you can go out and, uh, you know, for some time off work and whatever it is, $45 for an elk tag, you can have yourself a couple hundred pounds of meat. Maybe not a couple hundred, but a good bit. Um, you know, if you, I feel like if you have trouble grasping why someone would go hunting, um, and you just buy normal meat from the store, um, maybe you should revisit that because, you know, if you couldn't, maybe, you know, not everyone could kill an animal themselves, but if, if you feel like you couldn't watch an animal die and then get butchered and put on your plate um you know revisit your values a little bit but anyway um i'm gonna do just an episode about my week of hunting because it wasn't just the hunting but like some other crazy shit happened while i was out there um like lost hikers um finding someone else's animal that was uh killed um just just lots of random stuff so i'm I'm going to just do a recording with Matt sometime in the next week and just talk about all of it. Um, that way I don't fill up JRA for, you know, for some people. And I, you know, if you're vegan and you're all the way against any type of cruelty or killing of animals, that's, that's okay. I respect that. Um, so that's why I'm not going to fill up the whole JRA episode of what I did in the last week with hunting. And you can avoid that if you don't really want to hear about it. Um, it was an extremely difficult experience. Um, and I did end up getting an elk this morning and it was very like the end of what I thought was going to be my hunt. Like I literally, like I walked out after sitting around for a couple of hours and it's like, well, there they are like between where I was sitting in my car. So it worked out well. Um, anyway, that's really what I've been doing for the past couple of weeks. Um, I'm tired. I'm real tired. 
I put in a few days where I probably like hiked between 10 and 15 miles off trail um, on really rugged, steep stuff. And I'm tired. And that's really it. Uh, I have decided I'm going to do a coach next year. Back to the bike stuff. Bike-related things. Um, I I need to uh, email Linda back about that because she emailed me very quickly and then I went hunting and kind of forgot about her. So, um, yeah, that's really it. I don't have a lot to talk about um, because I'm going to just talk about all of it on my own. And I'm tired. Did I mention I'm tired? Andrea looks like 10 pounds of shit in a 7-pound sack. Well, good. At least it's not a five-pound sack. I was just being nice. I feel like it. Kenny, what's new with you? Nothing crazy exciting, but I have been riding. Uh, Today was probably last viable day at Park City, just weather-wise. It snowed there a little bit, maybe a week or two ago, but it's been pretty warm. Most of it's melted. Can't go all the way to the top. Uh, still definitely snow, but we had a really good time. Rode about three hours and definitely found the snow. That was interesting and got uh, stuck out in a pretty snowy part. And it was extremely sketchy descending, but fun, you know, falling off the bikes and all that kind of stuff. And a lot of like dropper down and feet out, just kind of letting the bike fly around. That was pretty cool. And I probably descended the steepest thing I've ever descended. Uh, once it got back dry again on the, the little bit nicer part of the trails, found a really rocky, chunky kind of connector section that neither of us had ridden before and uh, just went down that. That was a lot of fun. So didn't eat shit, which is awesome. And it was, yeah, definitely the steepest thing I've ever descended. Was it just one of those so where like cool. once you were in it, you were committed? Oh, for sure. Yeah, you don't if you tried to stop you would you would die for sure <laughs> but it was cool um you know big chunky rock stuff it was fun because it was you know it's just loose enough that it was exciting but it was a little bit bigger rocks and they're pretty planted so you could you could check up speed pretty well but there were definitely little shoots that you had to just kind of prepare for and then you just got to get off the brakes do the shoot and then get back in the brakes again yeah. that kind of stuff so it was fun had a good time uh yeah, it was a it was a really good one. Fast tracks killed it. They were you were amazing. riding fast tracks on that. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> they work. They work awesome. Oh god, <laughs> I thought that you put yep. some knobbier tires on your bike. No, no, I have fast tracks. <laughs> I like them. He even got Jake on fast tracks. I don't know why. Yeah. Well, Jake put them yep, on a bike like that's em. appropriate for fast tracks. Well, Kenny did too. Well, I've got a sh- I've got a short travel. I've got a short travel stumpy. It's like. It's got barely any travel. What's the travel in that? I always forget. It's one. Mine's a little different. It's one twenty rear, one forty front. Enough tire that you could use some, or enough travel you could use some extra traction. I don't like the taller tires. They're all wiggly and stuff. (laughs) Oh god. I'm weird. I rode a customer's bike. I think I talked about it a while ago. I rode a customer's full travel stump with those tires on it down my normal trails and. Maybe I'd get used to them. I don't know. I didn't like it. I wasn't like, oh, cool. Um, these have tons more bite. I tried to throw it into some corners, and it did weird things, and I, I didn't like it. What else is going on with me? 
got a random project that I'm doing. A customer abandoned a super old all chrome aluminum hardtail rock hopper. It's pretty cool. Um, definitely very, very like late nineties looking and just been building it up. Random parts I have laying around just a fun project. So I'll get that Does going. To, hold on. Does Marley need to go outside? Maybe. He's kind of acting like it. The dog's <laughs> acting weird. Gotcha. Do you want me to take him? All right, I'll take him. Nose goes. <laughs> okay. What else is going on? Bar bike build. Uh, just what kind of cranks are on that bike? Uh, it has an old set of Race Face Next SLs. Where did those come from? <laughs> they came from my old stash of stuff. What are you running now? Like XDRs or something? Uh, Next SLs. You just have extra ones, of course. Yeah, I've got a spare Next SL set. You know, you never know. Like, like you do because they do debond and leave you. Yeah, dead. they they tend to break. <laughs> so, what else? Anything else new and exciting? I don't think so. Does that bike still have tubes in it? It does. Yep. Yeah, it's too. I'm going to figure out what I'm going to do with it going forward. I think it's going to be just a, A, it's just a project just because sometimes that's fun. I don't like throwing stuff out. Like when a customer has a bike, unfortunately, it was completely clapped out. And we were very honest with this person and just said, look, to make this thing even remotely rideable, it's going to be 250 bucks because, you know, the chain was at 2.0. The, um, what else? The shifters were broken, had no brake pads on it. Wheels were out of true, um, you know, bottom bracket was trashed. It was just every single thing on the bike that could be broken was broken. And by the time you put cables and housings and, you know, headset and bottom bracket and all this kind of crap in this bike, it's 250 bucks. Oh, and tires were trashed. There's just nothing good on it. But the frame was good and the derailleur hanger was bent. The pulleys were broken on the derailleur. It was just everything. <clears throat> so anyway, I basically just use the frame is what it boils down to. And I might make it a 69er because it's a 26 inch mm. bike. Of course, please do. Um, reason being is because I looked around a little bit. It's really funny. I thought to myself, I want to do something kind of vintage and there's some cool vintage stuff out there for sure, but it's expensive. Like one of those amp research forks that has like the shock. It's got linkage and like an old rear shock in the fork. Oh, speaking of linkage forks, we got to talk about that. Yeah, fucking yeah, thing. And Keep we'll, going. we'll talk about, we'll talk about that fucking thing. Anyway, <laughs> Uh, you know, something like that would be cool or like an old Sid, like an original 26 inch blue colored Sid. I always liked those things because I could never afford one when I was a kid and I saw like the racer people on them and I always wanted one, even though they're piles of shit. Still, they're, they're lightweight. I, I mean, mean 28 mil stanchions. Were, were oh, they were terrible. Uh, but 28, well, I take that back. I think like that old Z1 bomber, I mean, it was heavy, but that thing was proper damping. It was rebuildable. Um, that was kind of, I think that was the first fork that was very progressive, uh, that was actually was that a like a charger zero damper. I don't know. It was an open cartridge from what I remember. I never rebuilt, <clears throat> I never rebuilt that many of them, but the Z one, I think it was generally a hundred mil travel, which was like long travel back then. That was a big deal because back in the day, like the original rock shock stuff was all 63 millimeter travel. And the long travel editions of those were 80. Even that, uh, the triple clamp red color Judy DH was an 80 mil fork. So <laughs> the Z1 being a single crown hundred was a big deal back in the day. 
Uh, and I think it may have come in some other travel configs. But anyway, with all that said, that would be fun. If I could find an old bomber, oh, that's a good call. I need to go look at that. That Man, yeah, we maybe I can go find Z1. We probably have a fork in the shop that would... So if any listeners out there, let me know. If you have a really cool vintage straight steer tube, 26-inch, just normal fork, let me know. If not, I think it just makes more sense. It's a lot easier to find stuff. I'm just going to get a 29 fork. And I've got some old Fox stuff up at the shop, like probably six or seven forks that are broken in various forms that we just kept for parts. Like, you know, one has a good lower and one has, you know, maybe a good damper. One's got a good air spring. I think I can cobble it all together and then maybe just go buy a 29 straight steer tube set uppers. And that could be kind of fun. And then it would be a 69 setup, 29er in the front. And I've got an old uh, American Classic hub I could build into like one of my old crests or something. So it's just fun. I like that kind of stuff, shuffling around old parts and like repurposing them. I just love that stuff. It's a lot of fun. So is that bike suspension corrected? Mm, I don't know. Does it have <laughs> suspension now? It has suspension now. It has a 63 mil uh, NDC or NDXC. I don't remember which. It's pretty bad it's not locked up and that's another thing i might just try to rebuild that to the best of my ability i don't even know how to take the goddamn thing apart because there's not even bolts on the bottom of it i guess the bolt like you take all the guts out and then there's maybe like a bolt inside the thing that connects it to the lowers i don't even know no freaking clue how that works so anyway got to figure out the suspension everything else is pretty much done it's got like the old original Shimano V brakes, like the ones that are just super basic. Uh, remember those really open looking levers with like the little plastic uh, thingy that holds over like the the barrel of the cable. Yes, mm-hmm. I think they were the LX, if I remember right. Like a back little flap day. that covers it up. Yeah, it's got that flapper, and they're real short levers. They're one of the first like one finger levers. It's got those on there with the regular brakes and uh, my old stuff from my stump jumper, like the cockpit from that. And I just cut the bars down a little bit, but it's got like a modern riser bar on it. Cause like those factory bars are just unrideable. They're so shitty, like flat bar, 500 mil wide, like that ain't happening. Well, if your stem is 700 millimeters long, you only need it like <laughs> five millimeter wide. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I've got like a more reasonable, like 70 or 80 mil stem on it with like riser bars cut down to, you know, whatever no clue 650 or something or 700 something half reasonable what else is on that bike i found a old xtr derailleur a uh, clutch 10 speed so it's one by 10 and then of course i got my narrow wide on the next sl crank so i think i may just go i mean i like nice shit but this bike might be fun to just you know reset your reset what you're used to. And, uh, it's a real big climb from my house up to the local single track. So I might just use it some mornings and just basically do climbing instead of actually trying to ride super fast or descend fast is just, Hey, let's go do 2000 feet of climbing and then just like chill out on the way down, which is what everybody here does anyway. in <laughs> in Utah, surprisingly enough, um, anything else new with me? I'm fairly certain so that real- we are officially going to turn the Daewoo into a lemons car. So we're going to get that all prepped and that'll be fun. Very expensive, surprisingly enough, but still fun to get it to pass all the inspection and tech and everything. Yeah. It's already got a lot of the stuff and it's a good running car right now. And it's got a half cage in it, but to finish out the cage is a thousand bucks. 
Oof. And then the fire system is going to be, I don't know, I'm throwing out numbers here, you know, maybe it's 400 bucks or something. And then you got to get a good seat. You got to get proper new rated harnesses. You got to get a fire suit, proper helmet, gloves, shoes, socks. Um, what else does a car need? It needs extra wheels and tires. So it's, you know, a lot of money, but the team's got four people on it, but it's going to cost probably $4,000 um, or thereabouts, but then we split that. So that's a lot. Plus the, so, plus the event itself, but it'll be fun. Who all is doing it? You? Um, it'd probably be me and uh, Christian and his brother and another guy. Is it another guy that bikes in Memphis? Um, I actually don't know who the fourth person's going to be just yet, but right now, um, we got the three people. Gotcha. I think kind of kind of locked down. So anyway, it'll be fun. I know there's a few people out there in listener land who do the uh, lemon stuff. So you may see us around. That could be I think, fun. I think James from Denver does. And uh, uh, oh, that's why I couldn't find that guy's name. I was looking for the wrong name today. Uh, David from Boulder dropped off booze with us this week. And holy shit, I drank most of a bottle of wine this afternoon. Half? A strong half. Okay. I drank a strong half of a bottle of wine this afternoon, and it was pretty awesome. So thank you very much. Yeah, I'm pretty. I'm hitting the box wine pretty heavy these days. There's a lot of really nice, like decent box wine out there. It's not like you know the days of Franzia are over, which well, is pretty cool. But it, well, you can get so much. It's like four fucking bottles for twenty dollars. Yeah, but this was one bottle that was probably. 20 or 30 dollars so like it was actually real like box wine is good and this was real good i like the box wine because a it's a shitload for not much money and b the thing with a bottle of wine is i open it and i want to drink it all in one day exactly because it gets nasty yeah um like i cannot handle wine after a day like it's just i guess some people don't mind it but the the flavor change is pretty shitty so the vacuum seal thing is pretty cool because you can just sit it on your counter and drink it over like two days instead of one day. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, oh, so this is something I'm really curious about. I would love for you, cause this is something I'm sure you could nerd the fuck out about and I would love it. I will. I still, cause we told a listener to do this before. I would love to see, someone take a bike like what you have, like that rock hopper and it's suspension corrected, right? I think it had suspension from the factory. You know what I'll do? I've got the little app for my cell phone and I will, I'll try to calibrate it the best I can and I'll do it on like my stump jumper where I know in theory what the head tube angle should be. And I'll just use the phone, um, to get that angle and I'll see if I can get the same thing, for example, on the rock hopper as it sits and measure the axle to crown on that fork. And then I can kind of make some judgments on what, how fucked it's going to be if I do like a 29 er fork. But if I do like a little 60 or an 80 29 er fork, that could maybe be cool. I don't know. Yeah. But like when we talk about full kook bikes, like that bike's never going to hold a big rear tire, right? Uh, it's got a two, three fast track on it right now. Okay. Um, well, shoot, that kind of ruins my plan. I wonder if like a two, three fast track 29 would fit in a 27.5 fork though. Uh, it probably would. Yes, I I would. I'd be willing to bet that it probably would. Yeah. That's like, 
that's like the kook dream that I've never figured out is like, I, you know, like a non-suspension corrected fork. Well, that's a way to get, basically you're looking, you're searching for ultra short axle of the crown. Right. So I'd love to see you try to stuff like a 26 inch suspension corrected rigid fork in there. Right. Oh yeah. I mean, you can do that stuff. I did that on my old bar bike. I had a 26 inch surly fork and it fit a big old two, three slick. Granted there was one millimeter clearance, but I mean, <laughs> one and done, baby. And it's fine. And I did that. And that was a 26 fork on my, how did I do it? I think I've got a 27, five carbon rigid fork on my other bar bike that lives in Knoxville. And I think I've got a weird. How many bar bikes do you remember. have? I only have the two now. Okay. Well, see, some people knock up women and leave babies around the country. Kenny <laughs> leaves bar bikes around the country. Yeah, got a <laughs> bunch of bunch of bar bikes in different area codes. <laughs> oh, there's oh, a good one. I don't one. know why um, that made me laugh so hard. Instead of I got hoes in different area codes. Um, I've got, got whips got... in different zips. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Bar oh. bikes everywhere. Oh, man. they're just fun to build. And I've got another, I think everyone should just do that. It's a fun project and you can learn a lot and, uh, you can repurpose parts that are old. Sometimes people, if you're, if I was more motivated, I could probably find more stuff and get people to like, give me stuff or whatever. <laughs> but I just had so much stuff laying around. It was going to be for a minute there it was going to be DI two. Uh, which would be cool, but I don't know. I'm going to keep an eye out for a size small mountain bike frame because I've got uh, I've got an old most of an old Dura Ace kit. <laughs> you know, I think <laughs> that cool. I think that uh, we've had the question a few times, like, how do you know you have like a good mechanic? I think someone who's a good mechanic can basically build up a bike. Like, if you give them a frame build up a bike out of just like the parts, just like spare parts in the shop. Like I know it absolute like, and this isn't all shops, but absolute has like five gallon buckets full of like a five gallon bucket full of derailers or like a five gallon bucket full of, you know, like, you know, old disc, you know, like brakes that don't work for one reason or another, but you could like, take one caliper off of one brake and put one lever, you know, put a lever on from another brake and you have a working one and make a bike that works. Yeah. That stuff is fun. We've got a treasure trove of stuff at the shop. Like we're pretty clean without a doubt. And I try to not, I don't want to be like a complete clutter magnet without a doubt, but I mean, it's every shop needs spares. You're going to need to pull a bolt off a derailleur or an adjuster or a pulley wheel or a B knuckle or whatever it might be it's pretty not, uh, it's not economical to have new of every single thing you'd ever have to have to get somebody rolling. And yeah. we've got a decent amount of spares, but we've got some cool spares too. Um, for example, the other day I was sifting through stuff. We've got like, uh, those XTR monoblock, uh, original calipers that are, let me get this straight. They are IS mount native. So you have to use the shims on them. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. They're pretty cool. I like those things. I mean, they're a pain in the ass, but like they're kind of cool and they're monoblocks, which is really cool. Um, well, you know, I, I still a... haven't done it. I still want to do a mineral oil SRAM. We could probably do that. We have enough 
old SRAM stuff around, like in the five gallon bucket at the shop, we could make that happen. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to try that. That could be fun. But yeah, it's really, I just enjoy every once in a while just going through stuff and, and repurposing. So, so I have times. one, not to one up you, but to one down you. Uh, we have a bike at the shop that has a note on it. See Matt at Christmas 2018. Uh, it's got like abandoned a bike with us um, last year. So it's been more than a full year. Um, and it's some like specialized that came with cantilever brakes, not V brakes. Like it's rigid oh, yeah. from nice. the factory, but it's not a nice example of it. You know, it's like beat up. He's probably like the 19th owner of this thing, you know, and I'm just going to pay the like $30 work order. Cause it was like a flat repair and whatnot. And I'm just going to pay it like full retail and then just take it. And I'm going to try my best to ride it. Like I can ride it on the trails and like hate it, but like I can rip around town on it. Like I can go run an errand and like not lock it up. Like it'll be, it's going to be like something. So, and I can't help it. Every one of my bar bikes becomes way too nice like my other bar bike <laughs> by the way was abandoned by a customer at outdoors in memphis nothing sat there for like two years or something like that but it was a it's a giant cadex carbon frame which is hilarious and then it's just got way too nice stuff on it. it's got like one hope brake on it like a hope hydro front it's got an xtr rear v brake it's got a dt240 rear hub like laced with like proper nice double-butted spokes on some hoops that i bought um yeah the bike's way too nice i think it's got one by ten of some kind and it's got mustache bars on it it's uh yeah and it rides great though it's super fun i used to do like road rides on it i remember i think um, we went on a bar bike ride like a night ride one time when i came to memphis <laughs> before you yeah. moved from memphis yeah yeah so it's they're they're really really fun I encourage people to do that. Go, go find an old bike. Maybe you even have something in your garage. That's just like a, you know, cantilever crapped out old hardtail. And with a little bit of effort, a little bit of money, you can make it much more usable. Word. Well, and as long also, like if you can't do your own work, if you go into a bike shop and you are realistic with your intentions, like they'll help you make it work as cheaply as possible. I mean, a good bike shop will like, if you're like, look, I'm not going to ride this off road. I just need it to get, I mean, it was like on a work order once that I did like customer just needs bike to get down F street drunk. Yeah. Like I've put the best notes in work orders. Like the bike just looks terrible. You know, I mean, it was bad, but it's like, just make this where it won't kill someone. That's it. Yep. And I'm just like. Like I've put in work orders, like gonna ride drunk or like DUI prevention machine, like yada, 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 like all this stuff. And then like, people are just like, cool, great. Good to know what I'm working towards. And they like blast it all with lube and like make it work. Okay. And they're like, cool, here's your bike back. So, yeah. Uh, let's hit a couple questions and then let's shut this fucker down. Do you want to do that or do you want to just shut it down? Because we have like two questions this week. We should just answer them. But should we? Yeah. Okay. I mean, if they're good questions and we want to answer, why don't you read them and be like, no, we're not going to answer your questions. Oh, or but, yes. Because that's like extra. Just rude. play God a little bit. I do every week. You don't even know. Um. 
Oh no. Son of a bitch. <laughs> is that the question? Uh no, the question is is the online login form for my email just changed and I haven't had to log into my mountain bike radio email in so long. I honestly don't know my password. Oh, this is premium adulting right here. Hold on, hold please. Um we can cut this out in post production. We're not going to. We never do. <laughs> um so this person has a question about your stumpy. Um, they sent a question in and I was like, huh, that's kind of odd. Kenny loves that bike. And then like a day later, like, but I'd been kind of busy and they sent a, like another email. They're like, uh, I want to start with a quick apology. I'm working through the backlog and just listened to your episode where you answered a question about which dump jumper to get. You suggested the comp carbon. So I found my local bike shop's web webpage. I would like to hear an update on the on the stump jumper and two would you suggest any other bike for me sincerely david bice whoop whoop so um and he is from virginia so kenny what do you think stumpy short travel and we i mean we've said it a whole bunch i mean i think all the stump jumpers are the new 19s are good it's hard to go wrong with that so we've touched on it a bunch we live in a world where there are honestly too many good bikes so don't take this as me saying oh you got to buy a stump drummer that's all you need to do i just happen to have experience with one because i own one but i assure you there are i mean there's so many good bikes out there it's unbelievable which is cool so we live we live in cool fucking times for sure with that said you can do lots of things with the stump jumper it's a very very happy bike to change travels and such and it they all kind of somehow work on it it's not the it's not the best 120 mil rear travel bike out there, I don't think, because they had to make compromises on it. And it's basically it started life as a 140 mil bike, and they just run a shorter rear shock travel wise, like it's physically shorter. So if it's a I don't know, you know, if the full travel one's a seven and a half inch eye to eye, the other one's a seven inch, and it's got a shorter stroke on it. So unfortunately, they could have tucked in the chainstays and everything and made it a little bit snappier 120 bike if they chose. They didn't. I think most people are going to buy the full travel stump jumper. Nothing wrong with that. So also keep in mind, both bikes will start out the same. They will sit the same in space if they are at the highest part of their travel. So if they're just sitting there on the floor next to each other, they are the same bike to start with. The bottom bracket heights are going to be the same. Uh, everything is exactly the same. When you go all the way through your 120 mil of travel on the short travel, you're done. On the long travel, there is quite literally just 20 more mil sitting there ready to go. And it goes, it goes deeper in the travel. So the back tire is just going to come closer to your, your seat tube. Basically that's it. That's the only difference between the bikes. And obviously they spec them with different forks, but you can do all that on your own. It's so easy to change air springs. That's not a big deal. Um, the full travel one obviously comes 150, 140. The short travel is 130, 120. So just minus 20 on both. You also have the flip chip to make it even more complicated. So with all that said, you can get any travel bike you want with any fork you want and then fuck with the flip chip and you've got all kinds of different bikes, which is kind of fun. 
I personally ended up with the 140, 120. So I basically took an ST short travel, added 10 mil to the fork. I like high bottom brackets. I run mine plus 10 in the front to get the BB up. Plus I run it in the high flip chip setting to negate my head tube angle changes and also boost that uh, bottom bracket up. I only run 2.3 tires. I think if I ran 2.6s, I don't think it's necessary to probably run the high bottom bracket setting. Long live high bottom brackets. Uh, So yeah, there's lots of... there's just a lot of things you can do to it. You know, you, you would take into account tire size, which affects everything. The, what fork you put on it. The biggest thing with that bike really is what fork do you want to put on it? And there's not a wrong answer. They all work pretty well. I'll bet you the bike, you probably have to get 2.6s on it though, which might defeat the purpose just because bottom bracket's going to be so low. But I think you could put a 120 on that bike, run it in the high position, run two sixes on it. And I think it'd be okay. Um, but for sure, I think the bike is happiest, you know, between 130 to 150. There's also not saying you can't get the full travel one, go super bro on it. You can or put a 160 on it. Like it's that. not going to be out of it. <laughs> yeah. But it's not going to be out of the ballpark of what that bike can do. And it's not just going to ride terribly, which is kind of neat. So all stuff to think about. Um, you could get another thing you could do, what I've considered doing, and I might do here shortly. Get the full travel version, shrink the fork down to 140 to make it a little bit snappier. And then, so now you're a square bike, you're 140, 140, just run more pressure in the back and basically ride it as if it's an ST. And then if you ever take a big hit out of nowhere, you've got that extra travel. And that way it's going to pedal pretty good. You would effectively have my bike just with 20 mil more travel on tap. That's always nice. So if that makes sense. So there's so many things you can do. And that's why I kind of like the bike because it doesn't, it doesn't seem to be ruined by going any different direction, which is kind of neat. But I don't want to give people the false impression. Like I said before, I think they could have made the ST better if they made it a separate bike, but they didn't. And it's nice because a lot of the parts are interchangeable, which is really cool. Production costs go way down for specialized because they just have fewer parts, fewer SKUs, fewer, fewer molds. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a neat bike. So I, if anyone's curious about them, definitely give them a shot. I'm super happy with mine. You know, it was a little bit weird at first coming from a little bit snappier handling bike coming from a Niner RKT. But now it's just feels normal. I still don't think I want a ton more travel, especially up front for, because I still like to pedal. Um, but this is about the maximum that I could tolerate as far as, uh, head tube angle slackness and, uh, you know, just amount of squishiness when you're just pedaling normally. So but yeah, ST really good bike, good all rounder. If you're completely flatlander, probably overkill, but maybe if you're a complete flatlander and you don't mind running 170 cranks, uh, you could probably run high high position run like a step cast 34 on the front 120 120 and maybe even just run the rear shock that much stiffer and keep it higher up in the travel just a thought and that way you could kind of have that xc bike but it's going to have longer stays than some other 120 bikes so keep that in mind (laughs) that's super long-winded answer to that question and i don't even know if that even answered a question i just talked about the stump jumper is basically all i just did Always. Yeah, I think he was, should Always. he get the stump jumper or should he get the ST? And I don't have an answer for him. It depends on where he rides and what he wants to do. The other cool thing is down the road, 
depending on what chassis fork you have, of course, um, you can change all this stuff later. It's not going to be cheap. I don't know what those yokes cost. I'm going to imagine they're probably 75 bucks or something like that. And then you could get a different rear shock, but you could make your ST a full travel, full travel and ST, whatever you want to do. You just get the new yoke for it and whatever shock. And of course, air springs are easy and forks. Um, cool. That's all I got. Well, he said his last, I was reading through some other stuff. His last bike was a, uh, it, or his current bike is a 26 inch Gary Fisher. So everything's going to blow his dick. Oh off. yeah. <laughs> yeah. His dick is going to be blown <laughs> clean off his body. Well, there you go. There you have it. I'm done. It's time to shut this bitch down. Yeah, I'm tired. This is the least energetic <laughs> episode right. ever. Let's do it. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty tired too. I tried to do something fancy. I made a Americano, uh, which is no big deal. I've got like one of those little machine thingies and <laughs> I put whiskey in it. How? And that's what I had oh for dinner. That's what I had for dinner. <laughs> How are you still alive? I mean, I had dinner. I had dinner. I had dinner. I did not just have a whiskey dinner, but it was it was a whiskey. You know, whiskey, yeah. I don't know if you call that an Irish fun. coffee. It's usually like Bailey's Irish cream or something. That is that what you usually put good. in like a? It yeah. When you I spike mean, coffee, Irish coffee is some form of coffee. Or is it just Irish whiskey, or is it Bailey's Irish Probably cream, Bailey's. or what do they so, do? A lot of people will say Irish coffee is Bailey's Irish cream and coffee. There's different iterations of it. Some of them are similar to what you did, but I think all of them have at least some addition of milk and or sugar to them along with the whiskey. According to the internets, it's a hot coffee with some sugar, whiskey, and then topped with cream. Well, there you go. And I think Bailey's Irish cream is like, it's so pretty anyway, much like margarita mix, except it's Bailey. It's like Irish coffee mix. I'll get some. I'm going to go to the store and get some. for <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so that's what I had. So I feel kind of weird right now. <laughs> You're not going to sleep for like the next five hours. Well, I'm going to build my 29er wheel when we get done with this show. That's really crazy. How are you like, it's, it's so late. <laughs> It's eight. It's eight fifty. Eight fifty three. And I also don't have to work. I also don't have to work tomorrow. And, and I woke up at uh, like eleven and got in the car and went to Park City and came back. So my day has been uh, what you would call not strenuous. Oh, mine's strenuous as fuck. Hello, everyone. Matt here. Wanted to let you know that this is the second half of the show. Kenny's gone. We're recording on a different day. We're going to put this together, but this is all going to be about Andrea's elk hunt. So if that's not something you're maybe interested in hearing about, then I would say you probably should stop listening now. Uh, this is your, I guess you could say, warning. Um, and for those of you that vehemently disagree with hunting, just I guess the quick tidbit is it's all done under wildlife Sorry. under wildlife management guidelines because humans have eradicated the natural predators for many of the big game in America, and without human intervention, the population would swell to a point that the entire population suffered. So just keep that in mind. But here we go. This is going to be the part where we talk about, well, 
I'm going to interject with questions and snortles and drink this Pacifico and probably eat some Reese's Pieces. And uh, Reese's Pieces. We'll hear how Andrea's hunt went. So, Andrea, how was your hunt? So, wait, wait, real quick question. So, this is going to be tacked on to the end of the last JRA? Yeah. Okay. It's not going to be a separate episode. So, I don't have to go through again kind of my philosophy on. Um, how I think hunting is a slightly more ethical way to gather your meat than um, than going to the grocery store. Than tender. Store. <laughs> um, so I'm not going to go over that again. Um, so I'll just get straight into the part where I had an eight-day second rifle season with an antlerless animal tag. Um, so... Last, well, I guess Friday, a week ago, what is today? I don't even know what day it is. Today is Tuesday, and that noise you hear is is Reese's Reese's Pieces pieces. being dumped onto the table. It's not like teeth or anything gross. (laughs) And if you think Reese's Pieces are gross. That's just putting a pile of Reese's Pieces onto the table right now. That's a pretty fair serving amount. Don't even get at me. Sure. Anyway, so um, Friday the 19th, I'll just go by dates, that works. Um, Friday the 19th. I left work a little bit early, uh, drove out to the area where I wanted to hunt, and set up camp. Um, So, a while back, uh, back in the summer, um, I'll say this just to start out, just to qualify this. I was, it sounds shitty because I don't like to make excuses, um, and I feel like this is a little excusey, but it's very much a thing. I started out misinformed. Um, basically everyone I talked to, everything I read said elk stay as high as they can, as long as they can, um, until they can no longer get food from what they're like, where they're grazing. Um, so I banked first and this is, you know, kind of my own fault here. Um, I banked first on the elk staying up really high, like around 12, 11, 12,000 feet. Um, because last winter it didn't snow that high until sometime late in November. So I scouted out very thoroughly an area, um, called Wildcat Gulch, um, somewhere around 11 to 12,000 feet. And I found like an elk highway, um, knowing what I know now, if that had been the place where I hunted and there were elk there, I would have been successful because I found all of the stuff you're supposed to find to find animals. So... Um, I kind of put most of my eggs in that basket. Um, But then it started to snow in early October. So um, they moved out of that area. And they were not there. Um, I went out a week before the season opened. Kind of scouted around the area. And it was pretty much other than some like rabbit and fox tracks. Was um, just a desolate, snowy area um so i went and just really quickly scouted out an area lower around a trail called little browns creek um that not a lot of people go to it is you know a trail people go there some but it's um, not a very popular trail because it's pretty rugged you know and i found some areas where um despite the snow you know some nice south facing meadows and slopes and aspens and stuff like that that would be good forage and good cover and um, all that good stuff. So 
going back to my hunt, uh, when I, Saturday morning on opening day, I hunted between 9,000 and 11,000 feet of elevation. Um, I even went up a little higher than that just to look for any sort of signs because I sat for, a you know, two or three hours um, in that area where I was talking about originally. Um, did not see anything, so I was like, well, I'm going to just start hiking and start looking for elk signs. So looking for tracks and looking for poop. Um, looking for um, aspen and young pine trees that have had the bark gnawed off of them. Stuff like that. Uh, and I didn't see anything. I went up to uh, probably almost 12,000 feet, um, just right at treeline. And it was beautiful up there. There was snow. It was nice. Um, but I saw nothing at all. So that was day one. Uh, or the first half of day one. Went back to camp. Had like an afternoon snack. Thought, well, I'm just going to go hike other places you know might as well just go and like look for another place to like sit for a few hours like till dark and I found an area that looked a little bit more promising but still up around like 9,000 feet or so um you know I saw some tracks I saw some old elk poop um a little bit dried up but you know still uh, more than what I had seen earlier um so I sat there for the afternoon saw uh several deer could have filled my deer tag several times over if I'd had one, um, <clears throat> but didn't see any elk. Uh, so day two, uh, I start to get into like this kind of a rhythm. So I go to where I'd been the day before, I sit for a couple of hours because, you know, some, sometimes you have an area where animals are late in the day. Sometimes you have an area where animals are early in the day. So I thought I'll go uh, early morning, see what happens. Went early morning. Saw some more deer. Had a couple of deer almost run me over. Um, so where I was sitting was along one of the many game trails through the area. And I heard a shot not too far away. It sounded like it was, you know, maybe a quarter to a half mile away. Um, I heard a gunshot. About five minutes later, these two deer came charging down the game trail where I was sitting. And luckily they saw me. <laughs> Um, about 20 feet away, like they were really close, and they stopped, like skidded to a stop, looked at me, sniffed once or twice, and then ran off up the hill. So, um, you know, I I uh, thought, well, this is a good place for deer, but not necessarily elk. So after I'd sat there a little longer, I started hiking, and that was kind of how my, like the pattern I made for the rest of my hunt played out was I would go to a place that I knew I'd seen some signs and that I knew how to get to in the dark um, for in the morning and then I would hunt for a couple of hours like sit for a couple of hours there and then go and hike um, you know I, f I did find like in the nine to ten thousand foot area I found some fresh elk sign once I hunted that area a couple of days. I looked in all the drainages. I I pretty much scoured the area, but there was a gap of private property where I think they were kind of hiding out. Either that or they had just moved out of the area. So um, basically by day three and a half, so Tuesday, I hunted in the morning. I did some pretty extensive hiking and drainage stomping and 
um, stuff like up a little higher, like around 10,000 feet. Didn't see anything. So three days, all I've got to go on is like one pile of fresh elk poop and a trail where I didn't see anything other than that. And I did follow the trail. Um, I forgot to mention that. I tried to follow the, the really fresh tracks that I found. And uh, they kind of dead-ended in an area where someone had like pulled in a whole pack string of horses. And they trampled all of the elk prints. Or the elk prints got mixed in with horse prints. Because a lot of times when you're tracking... All you're looking for is like a little bit of like turned up ground, especially here in Colorado where like the ground is rocky and hard in a lot of areas. And, you know, there's there's not a lot to go off of. You might see like, you know, one little pile of poop or like just a little tiny bit of disturbed ground or leaves or, uh, you know, it can be pretty scarce. Um, and this went into a field where there were horse hoof prints everywhere. So the ground was just turned up and... You know, it smelled, um, you can also kind of track a really fresh trail by scent, and I'll get more into that later. Um, you can smell them if they've been there in the last 12 hours, and it smelled like horses there, and it smelled like elk, and elk are also animals that eat grass, and their poop smells a lot like horse poop, so uh, it smells more like cow poop, but anyway. Um, so I kind of missed out on the trail there. Um, I did hunt that area uh, a couple of times you know also just didn't see anything so Tuesday morning after I finished hunting um, I did go back to Salida some bad weather was coming in um, you know I didn't really feel like sitting around in a downpour for hours or hiking in it so uh, Tuesday night and Wednesday morning I skipped those hunts and this is where the crazy shit starts this is where things get weird. <laughs> and for those of you that listen to stuff they don't want you to know, that's a good playback to that podcast, which if you've never listened to, is really interesting. Now I'll butt myself back out of here. Let me finish my whiskey. Okay. So Wednesday, I drive back to my hunting spot. On the way back, this is about two in the afternoon, uh, maybe one mile from public land, probably two miles from where I'm camped, there is a large herd of elk, probably around 50 to 100 animals, in a rancher's field. I stop to watch because if they start going towards public land, I'm going to drive my car that's faster than an elk to the public land, decide what angle I can shoot from safely, because there are some houses and things around on one side, uh, on the non-public side, and wait in ambush. Uh, while I was sitting there watching them and waiting, and they're just kind of hanging out, the rancher drives his truck out onto the field. Wait for it. Wait, wait, wait. Remember we said you might not want to listen if you don't want to hear this kind of stuff. We really mean it right now. Rancher drives his truck out into the field, lays his gun over the hood of the truck, shoots, gets a cow. I mean, like she, like the other, like when he fires, the, the rest of the herd kind of like runs off by about 20, 30 feet, and a cow lays down 
like 30 seconds later, flips her head back and just dies. Just lays out. I watched the whole thing. And at first, you know, I'll, I will say, like, it was a tiny bit traumatic to watch. And I'm like, oh, my God. I, like, can I do this? Like, can I just shoot an animal and watch it die like that? Like, this is, like, I, I got a little introspective. And I'm like, I eat grocery store meat on a regular basis. Like, this happens millions of times a day all over the world because people want to eat meat. So if I'm not okay with this, I don't need to be okay with any of it because it happens everywhere. And it's not even as like nice and fast and clean as what just happened in front of me. So, you know, like that was, that was a moment. I had a little moment with myself there and I decided, yes, you know, it's okay. Um, you know, I, I still want to elk hunt. And while I'm thinking about this, the farmer or the rancher, you know, like, I guess calls up a buddy or whatever. Like, he drives off and he comes back um, with a flatbed pickup truck and his tractor with, like, a hay fork on the front. And if you've never seen that, it's basically like a high... It looks like a forklift, but bigger and on the front of a tractor. And he and his buddy strap the, the elk on, onto the hay fork, lift it up about 10 feet in the air and lay it onto the back of the flatbed truck and drive off. And the crazy thing is, the other elk just kind of looked like they freaked out for a second when the one elk died, but then they just kind of went back to doing what they were doing. Like, they were like, you know, we just didn't really like her anyway, so whatever. Like, we're just going to stay here. What's... Su Come on, Susan. Like, we didn't like you anyway. Like, so that was nuts. I thought, and I was like, well, those elk aren't going anywhere. If that didn't push them out of that area, then I don't know what will. Because not only did one of them just die, there was a gunshot, one of them died, they freaked out a little bit, but then they just went back to just grazing and chilling out. And even with like the tractor, like the tractor and the truck came out there, they just kind of like wandered in a different direction, but didn't get that far away. So it's like, well, that's just not going to happen. I'm going to go hunt somewhere else. So, <clears throat> I decide, um, since the elk are that low, they're, 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 you know, at that point, they're around 8,000 feet. It's like, you know, they're not up in the mountains. So, I decide to change my hunting strategy to an area that I had not ever looked at, other than riding by it once on a bike. Um, so, I went... Uh, down the forest road from my campsite, and I went lower instead of higher. Uh, between 8,000 and 8,500 feet was basically the area where I was. So there's about a two-mile stretch between the forest road and the private property boundary that is public land and that has been um, kind of, it's been like a forestry type of place where they've done controlled burns. They've, um, you know, done a lot of like public woodcutting type stuff, like where you can go and uh, pick up, you know, firewood and stuff that, you know, they, that you can take into other areas that doesn't have uh, pine bark beetles in it or anything. So it's had a lot of forestry done to it. And just the first little while I was out, I realized that the elk eat the shit out of the small pine trees that have been kind of charred by the controlled burns. Like, there is so much elk poop out there. 
Like there was so much poop and there was so much sign. Like that night I hunted that area, didn't see anything other than like, I did see some fresh signs. So the next morning, so this is Thursday morning. So the hunting goes through, it goes a Saturday through the next Sunday. So a week and one day. Um, so Thursday morning is really when I actually started to get my hunt going. I did a lot of wandering around in the woods with a gun before that, but Thursday morning is really when it started because I went and sat um, same place I had Wednesday night, and then when I didn't see anything, I started to hike. And so Thursday, um, I found, like, I was kind of, going along the edges of some of the drainages and stuff in that area because basically there are about you know within a, like a it's really hard to describe I should like attach a map with this episode um, within about a span of I'd say six miles of forest road that go along the base of this little section of mountains there are probably ten drainages that come off of the mountains that run perpendicular to the forest road and perpendicular to the mountain range, if that makes sense. So I started on the south end and I kind of started going towards north end. And pretty quickly I found um, really, really fresh, like you could smell it fresh, like from last night, poop and lots of tracks. And so as I'm going along these drainages, I'm finding in kind of the same area, like east-west-wise, like, I'm finding a track, and so I finally, I just start following this track, and I start to go down into this drainage, and lo and behold, like, right when I'm at the private property boundary that's, like, two miles away from the forest road, I find a herd of elk, and just, like, I surprised the shit out of them. I wasn't ready. They weren't ready. Like, they jumped and left, and I was like, shit, I never even had a chance to put my gun to my shoulder. And my dad also had given me some advice. He's like, go look in drainages. Like that was, he's like, go to the ones where people don't want to go. Like go to the roughest, most terrible area that you can find. He's like, that's the biggest bull I ever got when I was hunting was in a drainage. He said that, you know, he overheard like a game warden talking at a gas station and said that they had been doing like a survey by helicopter and saw like five to 600 elk in a drainage called uh, Slaughterhouse Gulch. <laughs> if the elk could read. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I found I found the elk there, and I was happy. Um, I, I don't even remember what I did that afternoon. Basically, though, by Friday, I went and started just hiking all of the drainages. I mean, I was like... I basically just went down and up and I I have a picture of going down into one and the picture you know how in pictures like nothing looks as steep as what it actually is it looks steep in the picture so it's like just about vertical just following this elk trail down into a drainage but I got to know kind of like their ingress and their egress so I I figured out just by looking at the internet and um, by looking at tracks and when, you know, like, there's fresh poop on the ground and stuff. Like, elk are like fucking ravers. Like, they come out well after dark. 
out into the field and they stay there until it's almost light and then they go back into hiding and they're hiding I figured out pretty quickly they're hiding on public or they're hiding on private property during the day for the most part like so I found some really close to private property but on public land um you know, and that's just what happens, like, near the end of the week in, like, a public land elk hunt, is they start going where there are not people who are shooting them. So, you know, it makes sense. Um, so, you know, I, I saw the elk the first time. I did, like, a big, huge day, probably close to 15 miles, most of it off trail. Um, you know, just going up every single the north basically the north side of every drainage because that's the cool side elk have a bunch of hair they're warm and like they're they're made for winter and so in the daytime when it gets like up around 60 65 degrees they want to hide in like a well covered north facing area and so i went through like six different drainages just you know hike down the steep side on the south walked up the north side um you know, went over to the next drainage, did the same thing over again. Um, I was pretty exhausted by the end of the day. So on, I guess, Saturday, yeah, Saturday morning, um, I start to go out. I, I kind of figured, like, I hadn't really seen anything early morning, so I actually left a little, like, I slept in a little bit, and I didn't really go out to hunt until around 7 in the morning, which is right around sunrise instead of getting out before sunrise I got out at sunrise and right where I wanted to go and sit there were some hunters going out um I guess this was on Friday right where I wanted to sit um there were some hunters going out that were maybe like five minutes ahead of me but I could see them because everyone's got on their blaze orange and um so I kind of followed them down like, by, they were going along each side of the... There were, like, two of them on each side of the drainage. And they're using, like, a bugle and a cow call and uh, this stuff. And so I'm like, well, you know what? They're going that way. I'm going to go sit right where the drainage starts to get, like, a little... Go from, like, narrow to wide and where, like, the cover kind of starts to break up. And if they chase something my way, I'll, uh, you know, I'll have a shot. So I did that. Didn't... See, I heard elk running away from them. So when when a three to five hundred pound animal runs, it makes a lot of noise. And I heard the elk run away from these guys as they were going like hiking down the drainage. But they went the other direction. They didn't go my way. So after half an hour or so, I get up and I start going. And you know those guys were. I, I saw them along my way down, and they were like, you know they. It's like, someone needs to sit right here in the morning and just catch them on their way out. So I decided that's what I'm going to do the next morning. And I sat there the next morning, didn't see anything. Uh, then I peeked over into the next drainage, and there's a herd of elk in the bottom. They're basically, like, in someone's backyard, but just on the other side of the public land fence from someone's backyard. So I start sneaking down this huge slope and it's hard like if you're going down something that's like super super steep and you're trying to be quiet it's real difficult um but I did get down all the way to the bottom but they're on the other side of this drainage about 200 to 250 I passed up the shot 
because I wasn't confident at 200 yards, 200 to 300 yards. Like I hadn't practiced that. I didn't want to make a shot and it'd be a bad shot. I didn't want it, you know, I just didn't want to do it. I didn't feel like I could hit an animal that far away and do it well. So I passed on it. Um, also, the way the light was, I couldn't tell just looking through the scope of my gun. Like I couldn't tell which ones had antlers and which ones didn't. Uh, because the light was super low angle. It was like right after, you know, the sun was starting to come up and it was bright in some areas and shadowy in some areas. So I just, I just didn't feel good about it. So I kept trying to get closer to them. And eventually they jumped, but they only went a little way. And so I just sat down and just waited about five minutes. And all this time I can hear elk noises. And I'm like, wow, you know, they're like being very vocal today. Little did I know there was a hunter up on the hill that they had just jumped towards. So I had driven these elk closer to someone who was hunting them. Um, so I, I tried to get a little closer and I'm sneaking and I'm sneaking and I'm sure this guy's up on the hill just watching me because I'm sneaking and I'm sneaking and I'm getting almost close enough to like, where it's like, man, if I can just get to this one tree, like just over there, I'm going to have a great shot. And boom, someone shoots and they just scattered like straight over the fence into private property. They're, they're just gone. I'm like, damn it. So that's number two that I just missed a, you know, like missed the herd of elk. So, um, so the next day I decided to go back uh, to where, well, that night I went back to where I'd seen the elk the first time. Didn't see anything. Next day. So closing day by now. I know this seems, well, hold on. <laughs> There's something that happens between then and closing day. So I was, when I was on my way out, um, this is some of the crazy shit that happened. When I'm on my way out to hunt that morning before I like drove elk into someone else's gun site, um, I was walking along a barbed wire fence. I see something weird in the moonlight because it was almost a full moon. Um, <clears throat> and I can, you know, see without my headlight headlight. I see something really weird kind of under the barbed wire fence. And I turn my headlight on and there is a bull elk calf tangled up in the barbed wire fence and dead. And it had obviously been shot and it was a, like a gut shot. So if you shoot an animal in the gut, it will eventually kill them, but not very quickly. Like, they can run a long way away from where you are before they die. This one had run. It had been tangled up in this barbed wire fence. And it was actually, it was really sad because it was obvious that it had struggled and then died. So, you know, that was, <clears throat> again, a little disturbing. But, you know, after I... Um, that, you know, the same morning I, I saw that in the dark and I came back and I'm hoping that whoever shot it uh, has tracked it and kind of marked its area or, you know, maybe shot it right before dark and knew that it had, like, died in that area and was going to come back for it or whatever. That didn't happen. So I'm walking back up the fence that's still there. There's no one around. So I call the sheriff's office and I say I need to get in touch with the game warden because there's an elk here that's died. Um, it looks like it might be abandoned. Um, I don't want it to spoil because it's cold now, but it's going to be, you know, 
60 to 65 degrees today, it's going to spoil pretty quickly. Um, so, you know, I just want someone to come out here, um, you know, just let me know what to do because that's kind of a thing in the hunting community. You don't want waste. You know, you don't want to gut shot an animal and then not be able to find it. That's, it's a terrible feeling because you just don't want that to happen. Um, I mean, you're, you're feeding scavengers and predators, but still like you just don't want to do it. So I wait around for about an hour. A game warden gets out there and he says, you know, well, on his way out, he said, uh, if it qualifies for your tag, he's like, and the meat's still good, you can tag it and you can have it. He's like, we'll just call it abandoned. He's like, yeah, I was like, you know, once you're here, that's, that's fine. I just don't want to be cutting it up and someone else walk up and be like, what are you doing to my animal? He's like, no, he's like, don't worry about that. I'm almost there. Just go ahead and start dressing it and we'll see if the meat's still good. And I peeled back some of the hide from off one of the hindquarters. It didn't really smell great. It wasn't like a bad roadkill smell, but it was not a good smell. Um, and then he walked up and he looked at it and like the hide had kind of a greenish color to it. And he's like, you know, let's it just don't do it. Like it's probably not good. You know, it's, it's changed. It was a gut shot animal, which means some of the bacteria from the gut can get introduced into their bloodstream when while they're like running and getting tangled in fences and stuff it just circulates everywhere and it obviously had just spoiled the whole thing so um at that point i was pretty frustrated this is about the fifth time i think during the week that i wanted to quit um i was pretty frustrated so i said you know what i'm gonna go and like clean up because i don't have a good place to wash my hands at camp um you know, I'm just, I'm going to go back to, back to my house. I'm going to like clean up and then I'll come back out tonight or whatever and hunt or not or whatever. I did that. I almost didn't come back out, but my tent was still there. And I <clears throat> hunted a little bit that next after that afternoon. So this is Saturday now. I know my timeline's bad, but like the whole thing was, was just like, insane and I lost track of time so it's kind of hard to remember so I <clears throat> uh, came back to Salida cleaned up changed um, went back out and hunted Saturday afternoon so day before closing hunted uh, didn't see anything again and I went back was making dinner it's dark it's about 7:45 at night all of a sudden I hear the noise, so I'm camped maybe 50 feet, 50 to 100 feet off the road, and it's uphill to my campsite. The hill's got, like, some dips and stuff in it. Like, the road's not in great shape, but you can, I can get up it in a Subaru as long as I take it slow. I hear a car pull into that drive. They had to have broken something. Like, they pulled in really fast. I hear the car hitting the ground as they're pulling in. There's lights shining into my tent. And I get out just as someone is, like, skidding to a stop in a Prius. And I'm like, holy shit, I'm about to have to kill someone. Like, someone is here to, like, try and kidnap me or murder me or whatever. Because this guy gets out of the car and he is, like, DEFCON 1 panicking and yelling, You have to help me! I need help! Please help me! Like, at the top of his lungs, hyperventilating, 
I think this is someone on meth who's overdosing and they're going to try and kill me in the process. Like this person is all the way mentally unstable and I'm going to have to like beat them with the sh like the stock of my gun and then shoot them. Like that's the, that's the option here is that I'm going to just have to kill them before they kill me. So this guy's coming towards me fast, like walking really fast towards me, yelling, you have to help me, please help me. And I'm taking a couple of steps back and saying, hold on, hold on. I was like, what's wrong? And he's like, my sister's in the woods. And I'm like, go sit in your car. Like I had to just, I, it was like one step above the mom voice to the cop voice. I said, you have to calm down and sit in your car. And luckily for both of us, he turned around and went and sat in his car. Which that was like victory number one. Because even if he was there to kill me, he went and sat in his car instead of killing me right then. So I have a minute to talk to this guy. So he was hiking with his sister. And this was hard to get out of him because he didn't even say it. Like, it seemed like it was an hour from the time he pulled in until he said, my sister is lost in the woods. It was probably 10 or 15 seconds. Uh, but, you know, it, it's obviously, it scared the shit out of me. Like, I thought someone was there to hurt me in the woods, like, alone at night in the dark. And <clears throat> so, turns out he had been hiking with his sister. They're from out of town. They're from Arkansas. He had been hiking faster than his sister. He got back to the trailhead right, you know, like 20, 30 minutes before it, like sunset, and she never showed up. And he tried to run back out and look for her, and he couldn't find her. And he came back to the trailhead, and he had gone and gotten someone else first, the person who was closer than me to the trailhead. The trailhead's maybe a quarter mile from where I'm camped. There was one person closer to the trailhead. He went and got that guy. And that guy called 911. But that guy was also handicapped. Like, he walked with a severe limp. Um, so, this guy, his name is Dennis. I found out later. Um, so, Dennis goes hysterically, DEFCON 1, panicking, hunting for someone else to help him find his sister. And I was the next campsite down the road. And so, once he calmed down enough that I got that information from him... I said, okay, drive back to the trailhead. I'll follow you there in my car. I wasn't about to get in the car with him. And I couldn't, like, I asked him, are you by yourself? He said, yes. I couldn't see inside of his car because he'd put his headlamp on the dashboard. And so the light was shining out. So I couldn't tell if there was someone else in his car. Because at this point, I'm still really suspicious that this is a plot to kill me. And so I drive to the trailhead. And I see this red Jeep, which I recognized as the one from between where I'm camped and the trailhead. And I'm, at this point, believing the story a little bit more. Um, and also the guy in the red Jeep. So Dennis, who's hysterical, um, wants to know when the police are going to be there. So Ken, the handicapped guy who called 911 in the first place, calls 911 back and says, how long is it going to be before the police are here? This guy's going nuts. And they say, pretty soon. So sometime, like around, I don't know, 8.30, 8.40, a sheriff's car shows up. And I'm really happy to see this. 
Um, and in the meantime, I tell Dennis because he's not calmed down, but he's not 100% hysterical anymore, just like 95% hysterical. I was like, look, man, I was like, just so you know, everyone out here is hunting. They have two guns. They have one for animals and one for people that pull up in their campsites the way you pulled up into mine. He's like, I'm really, I'm really sorry. I just want to find my sister. You know, he's like upset. And I'm like, how old, you know, I start asking him stuff. I'm like, this is stuff the police are going to want to know. How old's your sister? What's her name? This stuff. She's 25. He's like, she's only got a light sweater and she doesn't have a, a flashlight or anything. Well, you know, and it's cold. Like it's, it's been real cold at night. Um, you know, it's down below freezing between 25 and 30 every night. Um, <clears throat> so finally the sheriff gets there. Um, the sheriff talks to him and the sheriff, you know, talks to me. He's like, are you with, you know, with them? Or I was like, no, I was like, he pulled up into my campsite and I seriously almost shot him. Like I just like he pulled in his, and the sheriff's like, I'll talk to him about that. And I was like, I, I talked to him too, but he needs to hear it again because like, that's, I was like, I don't think anyone would get in trouble for for have shotting, shooting him first and asking questions later in that situation because not only did he pull in out of control, he started walking towards me like really aggressively. And luckily he stopped when I told him to. So, you know, I, I talked to the police officer for a second and while the police officer's on the phone with the person that scrambles search and rescue, I catch just out of the corner of my eyes like there's a light in the woods. And everyone stops and like looks and it takes a minute, but then there's another light in the woods. And I was like, cool, a light. I was like, you didn't say she has a light, but you think, is that like a phone light? And he starts running, like, he goes, and it's her. And she had a headlight. She had, it was more than a light sweater. She had, like, a heavy fleece jacket. And she was pretty well prepared. She just had taken, after he'd hiked off from her, she had taken a wrong turn. And she had to backtrack. And, you know, so they ended up calling off search and rescue no one got shot. No one got lost all the way. But it was not the night before closing day that I wanted. Luckily, I had brought my pot of food with me that I'd been warming up. So when I went to the trailhead, I just sat there and ate chili out of a little pot. Um, so that was um, fucked up thing number 500 that happened while I was out there. Other than like missing elk twice finding a dead one that was spoiled, um, having someone aggressively pull into my campsite. So closing day, <clears throat> I go back to the drainage where I had first seen elk. And I've been through there now. So there was the first time when I saw the elk. I went back and I walked up it again on the day that I like walked all like six drainages in that area. Um... And then the night before crazy dude pulled into my campsite, I had gone and hunted the same area. So I go back Sunday morning, closing day. I sit at the end of the drainage for a couple hours. Didn't see anything. And I walk out just straight up the hill. And I think, well, you know what? Maybe this is like yesterday. And they're over in the next one. They're in the next one over. So I walk to like the edge of the next one over which has some cover, and I start walking along there, maybe, I don't know, not even a quarter mile, 
maybe a quarter mile. Probably a half mile. And I'd say, you know what, I, I don't see anything down there. I had a couple of good clear views of the area. I didn't see anything. So I'm like, you know what, that's it. I'm done hunting. Didn't get anything, but I had a good week. You know, I, I learned a lot about elk behavior. I saw lots of stuff. You know, I'm like reconciling this in my head. Like, I'm not, I'm not getting an elk. And I pop out of the trees and start to walk across the field to the road that goes to my car. And there they are about 75 yards away, just a herd of fucking elk. And they didn't see me. And so I ducked behind some trees, like a little pine tree, like a pine tree, probably five feet tall. So I had to duck behind this tree. And they kind of, it's like they picked their heads up and looked because they'd heard something or, you know, probably saw me move or whatever. And I crouched down to shoot. Here's another ass story for you. My ass. <laughs> Which seemingly has a mind of its own and is always getting off in its own adventures and antics. <laughs> so my ass crunches a dry bush underneath it as I squat down. We used to have a segment called Shit We Hate. We or, still have it. But now we just need story time with Andrea's ass. <laughs> So in this week's edition of Storytime with Andrea's Ass, hear how it almost ruins an elk hunt. <laughs> Twice. I can tell the earlier story too. But anyway, so as I settle and I get an elk, and there's an elk that's like 20 feet off the back of the la of the group. And so I'm like, that's a good one because you can literally like at that close of a range with the ammunition I'm using you could shoot through one elk and into the next one. And so it's like a, a 270 and it's a 130 grain. I don't remember. Okay. I could get the, oh no, I already put the box away. It doesn't matter. It's at short range like that. It's a, it's a, the right bullet to go through one elk and into another one. So I pick the one that's like 20 feet off the back by, by herself. And as I settle and I crunch the bush and she's in my, like, sights, she jumps as I pull the trigger. And I don't even know if I hit the elk. Like, there was no flinch. I ran over immediately to, because they all ran off, of course. I ran over immediately. There's no hair. There's no blood. There's nothing. And I'm like, there was brown in the crosshairs when I pulled the trigger. There was definitely something in the crosshairs I was like I have to start I have to look for it so I go down and this is in my like lucky drainage where I'd seen the elk the first time um and I'd been in there enough that I knew kind of their travel patterns through the drainage so I start to like I see really deep hoof prints like obviously like elk running and I start to just like slowly work along the path and really you're supposed to wait a little while like to let your elk kind of lay down and die. But I didn't know if I'd hit it. And also I knew that if I had hit it, it might be running towards private property, which was about at that point, maybe half a mile away. And so I find like heavy running elk prints. And just as I'm following the, the trail like kind of parallel to um, the direction of the drainage an elk jumps out of the bushes runs kind of funny 
and like disappears back into the bushes. And I'm like, she is going, I was like, that elk could definitely be hit. It's like, she's going to go for private property. So I decide at that point. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> what was that? That's like the dramatic music that starts in James Bond. Da, da, da. Oh, yeah. So da, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to, I no, walked, no. I hiked back up to the top of the drainage, went uh, down to the private property line, back into the drainage, and up the trail that I know is like their emergency exit. Because I'd seen some elk um, the night before when I was hunting it, I heard elk running towards me. And. They, I never even saw them until they had jumped the fence out of this one spot and gone off into private property. So I decided, you know, she's probably headed for that spot. That's where they go when they want to get away because that's where the ones had gone when I scared them the first time. That's where the ones had gone the night before, like when they were just, I don't even know what they were running from the night before, but they ran straight down towards me and over the fence. I just heard them running towards me and saw them jump over the fence. So I run down to that spot and I start following, I start going backwards on like the elk emergency trail. And all of a sudden there's my elk like right there, just wrapped around a tree, like right in front of me. I'm like, holy shit, are you serious? And so I take a picture. I text Matt. I said, I hope you're fucking hungry. And I sent him a picture of the elk and I didn't know, really know what to do at that point because I was really excited. And I had to like walk up out. It's like the one place in the whole area that I hunted where I didn't have phone service. So I had to like walk away. I marked it on GPS. I walked up, called Matt. He's going to head up with his truck. It's like, I'm going to start. <clears throat> the mini truck. The mini truck. <laughs> um. My original idea was I was going to drag it down into the bottom of the drainage and quarter it there. I drug it about 10 or 12 feet and was like, nope, that's not going to work. This is heavy. I was probably like, I don't know, around 400 pounds, do you think? It was heavy. I'm not very good at estimating weights, but to fast forward, I showed up. We got it all sorted out. Uh a private property owner through no uh, protest of us using their driveway. We cut a ton of the hike off. Well, I mean, you have to. So the law is you have to make a reasonable effort to contact a private property owner to trespass on their property to retrieve game. And that's really like the law for retrieving game that has died on their property. So like if it had jumped to the fence and then died on the other side, um, I wanted to just cover all the bases and I was like, we're going to walk up to this house where this driveway is because, you know, I, I don't even want to cross their property without their permission. Matt and I walked up to this house. Nobody was home. It was obvious by like the tracks in the driveway, how like grass had grown up in the driveway that no one had even driven there in a long time. So Matt drove up their driveway, like two switchbacks basically to where it was at the same elevation as the elk. Um, and it was maybe a quarter mile into the woods from there, like onto public land. So quartered the elk, hiked it out. I definitely punctured the gut sack twice <laughs> in the quartering process, but 
got the quarters, got the back strap, got the tenderloins, um, and took it home. And in the process, realized that this elk had a broken leg. Not just like funny shaped, but it was like once I started taking this quarter apart, had a compound fracture of one of its rear legs. Like it had had a compound fracture and its body had like walled off the bone fragments that were sticking out of the skin. So there was like a hole in the skin with little bone fragments sticking out of it. And under that was like layers upon layers upon layers of this cartilage. And around the bone was like just infected and like smelled really bad. So on that leg, I didn't keep the shank um, because that was the bone that was broken. It had some weird stuff growing around it. I couldn't even cut it off. Like I couldn't get through it. I would have had to use a saw to get it off of the leg. Um, but you know, it's, it's, I feel like better about taking that particular animal in this instance, because most cows this time of year are pregnant. Um, I don't know if she could have made it through the winter on a badly injured leg like that. Um, either I think the infection would have spread and killed her or just the pressure of carrying extra weight of pregnancy would have hurt her leg even worse. And she would have eventually just been eaten by coyotes. Um, you know, so I, I'm really happy, not just because my hard effort paid off, but because I feel like I helped cull an animal that would have suffered further if I hadn't harvested it. Um, so, you know, I, I feel, I don't want to say warm and fuzzy inside about that, but I feel good about that. Um, so we got home and, uh, Sunday night I cut up the back strap into steaks, put away one of the tenderloins. We've got the other one in the refrigerator. Um, we're going to cook it tonight. <clears throat> On Monday, I took all day to process three of the quarters, and then today I did the last quarter. So it was it was really crazy. Like that injured leg side, the muscles were atrophied. Um, it was hard to kind of identify what I was working with because it wasn't the right like size and shape and stuff. Um, she was obviously like she was. I mean, she was getting around. You know, but she, she it was going to be a tough winter for that for that cow. So, um, you know, it it was um, it was really interesting to take that apart and uh, you know try to figure out what muscles were what, and then the other leg, the other back leg was way easier. So, finish that up today. Um, then, of course, to like keep on with like the hysterics of my hunting week. Um, now ten days, I guess. <clears throat> I wanted to cut the shanks up besides the injured shank. Um, I want to cut the shanks up for aso buco, uh, which is a very fancy dish where you braise uh, shanks for a long time and they end up tender and they're delicious because there's bone marrow juices leaking out everywhere and it's wonderful. Um, I couldn't do that. I tried to do it with a hacksaw and I just couldn't. Like I made one cut and I started another and it just like the saw blade was dull by then. So I called up a local game processor and the guy on the phone um 
seemed a little taken aback by the the fact that I had butchered an entire elk by myself. Um, he got a little bit stuttery on the phone. Like, I asked him how much it was. I was like, I just need these shanks. I said, I have three shanks. She had a broken leg, so it's only three. It's not four. Um, I just need three shanks cut into, you know, also buco pieces. Like, about two inches wide, give or take a little. Just so you get, you know, like a few nice pieces out of each shank. And he's like, oh, uh, you just, just, is that all the parts you have the whole, do you need to bring the whole leg in? I'm like, no, I've already butchered the whole elk except for this. And he's like, oh, uh, just, just bring it in. I'll get it done by tomorrow. Um, and I get to the place, which is like a mile from my house. It's like someone's compound behind their own house where they live. And it looks like when I go in, it's like a dad and two sons. Obvious. It's very obvious because they all look the same. The dad just looks like an older version of the two sons. It's the middle, like the older son that I had talked to. And he's, he just has a case of the stutters. Like he is just, I don't know. Like he's very, um, I don't know if he was impressed or surprised or what. Maybe Matt can give me some insight onto, um, the psyche of this person. Da, 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 da. <laughs> Pork chop sandwiches. Go get the fuck out. We're all dead. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I handed him my bag of three shanks. He's like, Oh yeah. Um, is, is tomorrow. Okay. Like I, I think, um, I should be able to do it by tomorrow. He's like, yeah. Um, how much is it going to cost? And he had to like refer to his dad <laughs> Um, and his dad's like, oh, you know, we're going to vacuum seal it for you. And how about $15? It's like, yeah, that's great. He's like, okay. And so the, the son again, it's like, okay. Um, uh, yeah, we'll just see you tomorrow then. I'm like, do you want my phone number or anything so you can call me when it's ready? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, I was like, come on, man. I was like, pull your shit together. <laughs> so, um. Maybe tomorrow when I go to pick up my my uh, my shanks, he's going to ask me out on a date. That would be appropriate in this, uh, in, in my week of, I feel like I lived out a week of a movie, honestly. Like, he he was probably just like on the phone and he hears Andrew and she, she's like, oh, hi, I uh, butchered most of this elk myself. Can you cut it up? And he's like, duh, sure. It's like it didn't compute at first. And then, like, overdrives, like, a silver Subaru, and out comes Andrea, and she's like, hi, my smile is infectious. And he's like, ah, da, 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 I caught it, da, 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 <laughs> I mean, you know. It was just like he was, it was almost hard to talk to him because he couldn't, it's like he couldn't do his job right then. And it was funny. And I'm sure his, I hope his dad and his brother made fun of him heavily once I left. So, <laughs> um, that's the story of my, my week. Um, I really did. So I think the most important thing other than getting like a hundred pounds of meat out of this, I realized that when I'm presented with a challenge, there is some inaccessible part of my brain. I can't, like, I can't touch it. It's a switch. It's like a switch that I can't, it's like, 
you know, like at the office when they put a lock on the air conditioner and you have to use a toothpick to like poke down in there and adjust the temperature a little bit, but then like someone gets mad at you when you do. I have a switch in my head that when it's presented with a challenge, no matter how bad, like the rest of my brain and my body wants to quit, this switch doesn't let it happen. Like, when I went home because the weather was getting bad and because I was discouraged and everything, I was I was physically uncomfortable. Like I, I didn't I couldn't settle. Like I didn't sleep well. And I just I had this like pull to just get back out and keep going. And I couldn't really explain it. And it took lots of wandering through fields and drainages and woods with a gun for a long time and being exhausted to figure it out because I felt the same thing during bike races. Like, it's like, you know, I could just quit right now and no one would mind. Like no one would really care. It's like the first, it's like in one of the Wachita challenges when I wrecked and I broke like three of my fingers, I got to like the next aid station and they're like, Oh, do you need a ride back? I'm like, I can't quit. Like I physically, I just can't. Like, I can't do it. Like, it makes me both mentally and physically, like, extremely uncomfortable to even start to think about it. So, you know, I, like, you know, and I texted Matt a few times, like, I'm discouraged. I just want to come home. And he's like, I mean, you're an adult. You can do that. And it's like, I just can't. Like, I can't do it. Like, I physically feel uncomfortable when I'm quitting like I, I just I can't even think about it. like I have to keep going until that's like you know like there's the the government date that says you have to quit going like that's it like that's my end, end game and no matter how much I wanted to just stop doing it I just had to keep doing it and it's again it's like one of those things that like it's it's good for an endurance athlete but man it's like even if I'm having a bad time, it's like I don't have the choice but to keep going. And it's pretty uncomfortable sometimes. But, you know, that's kind of what I like. I learned a little bit about myself or figured that out. Like, I I think I kind of knew that already from bike racing. But I think I figured out that it carries over into other things besides bike racing. And that's... Um, that was like my takeaway for the weekend or for the week along with a bunch of elk meat that's all in my freezer now except for the three shanks that <clears throat> stutter boy is cutting up for me right now thought you were talking about me for a minute <laughs> well that's really it um and did i miss anything like you? no you got it okay that's like your 30 minute recording is an hour and oh i didn't realize it was an hour i really do i feel like i lived like the last 10 days has felt like a movie like i feel like i've lived out some weird plot where every time you're like god could get could this get any like weirder or any like like exciting things happening or whatever like it just feels like that's just kept on going like since wednesday basically there you go I don't really have anything to add to it. Oh, I will say, like, when, in the butchering process today, um, 
so in a rear elk quarter, mostly like the front half of it, so like the quadricep side, which is really annoying because people always call it by like the beef cut stuff. And if I had, um, I don't know, like if I found a diagram that had like the actual muscle names instead of calling it like a round or a sirloin, I would be a lot happier. But like the front side is stuff you can cut up into steaks. And the back side is stuff that's tougher that you have to like roast for a long period of time. And if you cook one like the other, it turns out not as good. Um, like if you cook a sirloin part for a long time, like in a crock pot, it'll just kind of fall apart and not be good. Um, if you cook like high heat, fast cooking, like one of the hamstring type parts, it won't, it'll be like chewy and tough. So I, um, I figured out today if I was in doubt, I just cross across the grain cut part of the meat and just toss it in the skillet for like five minutes or less just a little bitty piece of meat and then eat it uh, with a little salt and pepper and see if it's tender or chewy. And I, I did confirm on two different cuts of meat that it was a steak cut and not a roast cut. So I had some elk snacks. Well, there you have it. And in exciting news, it wasn't appropriate for the standard JRA for me. Um, I bought a... Uh, long story short, I went to the gun shop to buy the newest version of the pistol that I first shot as a small boy. So my father had a pistol, and they've updated it a few times. And between the time that I called to ask them to put the pistol on hold and the time that I got there, they took in on trade the exact model, barrel length, barrel type, that was what I shot as a small kid, except it's a special 50th anniversary edition of that gun. So so it's even prettier. So it's even cooler. Yeah, so I got a new pistol this week, which is real awesome. Which one is it? Uh, it's a Ruger Mark II, 22, with a 4-inch taper barrel. And that's awesome. So... And Can't. I'll talk about in the next JRA episode about if a stutter boy from the meat processor um, does anything else that's funny. I mean, you shouldn't call him stutter boy because some people like actually have a stutter that's outside of their control. So oh, yeah, you're right. That like, was an asshole thing. I feel like such a jerk. Well, now. but it's funny when like someone becomes, pork chop sandwiches boy. Yeah, when they get like when you like break someone and they're like ba 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 ba. But like if someone stutters all the time, that's like yeah, not um, funny. I'm real sorry. Don't be insensitive, I'm, I'm, Susan. I'm sorry. If you have a stutter, I'm really sorry that I called that guy stutter boy. I shouldn't have done that. And to make it up to you, she'll send you nudes. No, I won't. I know. Fuck off. <laughs> uh, Shut right. it down. Is that it? All right, cool. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening. And just a reminder to go over to Mountain Bike Radio dot com slash support mbr if you want to support the show and make sure that all of this keeps rolling so thank you and have a good day